So, Lord, we just thank you for this amazing couple, God, and we thank you for Cambodia. We thank you for all those Cambodian people, Lord, that you love so much, Jesus, that you gave your life for, God. We thank you for that, and we thank you um, for the heart that you have given Eddie and Bethany and their family, for Anna, Jack, and Miles, to sow into this nation, Lord, to bring Christianity, to bring freedom to these people so that they could know the one true and living God, Lord, that they could um, just have relationship with a personal God. And I thank you for that. I pray for um, Eddie and Bethany as a couple and as a family, Lord Jesus, that you would bless them, that you would um, bless their marriage, that you would bless them as parents, that you would bless their children, Lord. And um, just in all the ways that it comes to uh, being difficult to balance family and ministry, and they do full-time ministry, Lord, we pray that you give them wisdom and you give them discernment on how to balance that, God, and you bless this family. We pray for ICF, the church that they are partnering with, Lord Jesus, and all of their vision to reach the children and to reach the teens and to ultimately reach the parents also, God. We thank you for all that you are doing, and we pray blessings. We thank you for the leadership that's there, and the Westerners that are investing but raising up these Cambodians, God, and they are powerful, and they are loud with the, the gospel of Jesus, and we thank you for that, God, and all of the disciples that are being made and how infectious that is to this this community and see them reap lord we thank you for that god and we pray blessings on this ministry that it would continue to flourish and and make an impact a lasting impact and transform many many lives lord we thank you for that god we pray um just for the the whole family um as they are here this summer, that you would pour into them, God, that you would replenish them um, so that they have much to take back with them when they go back and they, they minister. We pray blessings on Eddie and Bethany as they travel to see family in Montana and Nebraska and also in uh, friends in Tahoe. We pray blessings on them and every person they come in contact with and um, we ask for your favor, too, Lord, as they visit the churches that support them, God, and maybe new contacts, Jesus, that there would be provision um, above and beyond, Lord, that it would meet every need that they have while they are in Cambodia, God. We just thank you for this couple. We thank you for um, the work that you are doing, God, and what amazing vessels they are to be used of you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kim. Say hi before I go down. Okay. That's all. Uh, it's so good to... Hi, everyone. It's so good to be back. And Eddie's going to be sharing most of the morning, but I just wanted to say hi before I, I head down. Um, and I'll be back up to share some stories in a little bit. Too beautiful. Yep. Ron told me, I, I was going to wait to ask to marry, marry Bethany. And he said, why would you wait? <laughs> I said, good point. So I bought a ticket to Cambodia. 
Um, if, if this is your first time today, my name is Eddie. I love Jesus, and I love this church. This has uh, been a special place for me in my growth with God. I first stepped back into ministry after um, being out for a few years. I met Ron at a... Where, where did we eat at? It was a... I don't remember. I just remember I was really nervous about meeting you. And now that I know Ron, I don't know why I was nervous. <laughs> He's so friendly. But uh, uh, in Grace Vineyard, our, our love is that to be real, to be honest and authentic with God and each other. And this is our vision at this church, and, and, I, and I love this about us because I can keep it real, right? This is like family. We can, you can talk to me. Ron's already talking to me. Um, people in the back, you're welcome to join in. Just don't heckle. <laughs> what? <laughs> I heard awe. <laughs> is that like awe, like good or awe bad? Oh, good. So um, I'm going to be sharing with you. We're going through the book of Philippians in our church. We worship, which we just did. Um, we also have times where we hear God speaking to us. And we allow, if you're in connection with our, with our church, we allow you times to share what you feel God's saying with the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And we also believe God speaks through teaching which I love to teach. I especially love to teach when it's only one language because then I don't have somebody interrupting me. <laughs> you know, it's much easier to tell jokes when I'm speaking in, only in English. So, and hopefully they, they're funny. And I, but more than anything, what I hope today is that we all get to encounter the Jesus that has plans for us. God has plans for our lives. He has plans for me. He has plans for you. Some of us are on a stage. Some of us, we take our stage wherever we go. And that's just the way life is. I'm, I'm most of the time in Cambodia, I'm not on a stage. Most of the time, I'm behind somebody that's on the stage and supporting them and encouraging them. And that's why the theme is empower. It's not, I give the power. It's not like I'm the one. I get resources so I can work with people to give them the power to lead and be the pastors, to be the leaders of the church. And that's our vision. And that's where we are, right? We empower people. And it's a lot more fun because when you make a mistake and you're not on the stage, no one knows about it, right? Or it's like, oh, yeah, only one person knows. But on the stage, you guys will all know when I fail today. It's going to be glorious. Oh, I, but I'm not going to fail because I'm, I'm, too, I'm too prepared. So, oh, watch out, watch out. All right, so what I'd like to do is pray um, because I just want to get my heart focused so you guys can join me or just listen. Jesus, I just thank you for this time, and I ask that you would please bring your presence stronger, more of you, God, more of you. I pray that it would increase in us to the point, God, where we not only have faith to believe in you, but faith to live for you. God, where we can take the, the unclear moments in our life and be able to laugh and enjoy, God, what you've given us to do in the unclarity, in the things that don't make sense. And that, God, we can find your pleasure, find your joy, no matter what we have to do, no matter who we have to work with, no matter what we have to understand or not understand, that we can find your pleasure and your joy in that moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians, just a small section. And what I love about this is that this section of Scripture is actually the main center of Philippians in chapter 2. It's the, the whole point of the, this letter. 
Paul is like, he's kind of like sporadic. Anyone like that? You like, you, you talk with like, oh, this point, this point, this point, but here's the main point, but this point, this point, this point, but here's the main point. Paul put the main point in, in, in chapter two, and there's four chapters. So it's, it's interesting that he did this. And when I was praying about this, God was talking to me about how to be courageous, and I didn't even know the theme. I, I told Ron, Ron messaged me and said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, Philippians. He's like, oh, we're going through Philippians. I said, perfect. And, and it, was just, it was cool how God did this in my heart and in our hearts together. And what he was speaking to me about was the word obscure and how obscure things bring us to the awe of God. And what I believe God was saying to me is he wants to put the ha-ha in hallelujah. He wants, to, he wants us to find the moments in life where we can laugh a little bit at our suffering, as weird as that sounds, where we can look at our, our downcast moments in life and say, yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. It hurts, but I get it. <laughs> it's just where I'm at, and I believe that God's going to take us to a place to raise a hallelujah no matter what we're in, because that's what he's doing, not just in America, but the same message works in Cambodia. Wherever we are, it's the same message, same God, moving in the same way. It's really cool what he does. I mean, the same hope that I see in my friend's life here, that I see in your life, is the same hope I see in the poor teenager of Cambodia learning to overcome lack of education, unbelief in God because they don't know anything about God, and poverty. They find the same hope as we find with God in our struggles, and our challenges. It's the same thing. And obscurity is the unclearness. So when I think about obscure things, I think about the things that are unclear, that we don't know about. Like, um, obscure, it means to be unclear, undefined, unknown. I kind of think of it as like a surprising thing. An obscure moment is just the moments in life where we don't know what's going to happen. We, we don't know what God's going to do. And we have to trust because it doesn't make sense in the moment. Obscure is, is those moments where, where you just you don't know what to believe anymore because you don't, know what's gonna, you don't have the understanding for the future. And I know most of you are really strong Christians, and you're not like me where you doubt sometimes. But I'm the guy that's like, Bethany, I don't think this is going to work. And she's like, I think God's going to do amazing things. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, hon. I think it's going to fail. I think we need to go back and save some money and come back here and try again later. She's like, no, 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 no. It's going to work great. And this is, I'm the one who's like looking at the unclear things and trying to make decisions with unclarity. And in those moments, we kind of need to revolve more towards our faith muscles. And if our faith muscles are weak, we need to get people who are stronger beside us and help us exercise them. When I was praying about this obscure moment in life, God showed me a picture of an astronaut. I'm not really into astronauts. I'm not a space guy, just a space head, but I'm not really like a space guy. But, uh, and, and, and when I think of like, I'm very like much like I'm at point A and I want to go to point B, it's a straight line, right? And I was thinking about this, an astronaut I saw this movie one time. I don't know the name of it because it was a long time ago, but the astronauts wanted to go back to Earth, and they could see Earth, right? And they said, we want to go there, but they didn't have enough fuel to get back. 
So they came up with this plan. They said, we got an idea. Go the opposite direction, around the moon, through the dark place, cut off all communication, and then you'll sling around, and you'll come full force and greater speed because of the gravitational pull hurling you to Earth at a greater force. Now, to me, that's kind of obscure. <laughs> I want to go this way, and then the, the guy's like, eh, we want you to turn around. But I need to go this way. Turn around. Go to the dark place, sling around, and you'll come out with more power. Sometimes God calls us to, to go through dark places, not because he wants us to, but because he knows we're going to get great power. And it seems obscure. It seems really obscure. It seems unclear. But that's God's power, life-giving moment in our lives where we can say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you even if it means going through dark places. Even if it means I'm going to lose connections and feelings with you because it's going to be so hard. You know, in those painful moments, sometimes God feels far away. And I've been through some painful moments in my life where I could not feel God. But when I come out of those painful moments where I don't have those feelings, but I have that confidence and that faith that I will sing praise, that I will sing praise. You know why you have to tell yourself, I will sing praise? I will. It's future tense because your present is like, oh, I don't want to right now. But I will someday. But I don't want to right now. And I heard some of you guys not singing praise, so I know you're in that place. Sometimes you're not, and it's just honest, right? Like, you're not in that place where it's like, God, I don't got it in me right now, but I will. And I hold to that promise that I'm going to have that place, that I'm going to come around with greater power. Because when I sing my hallelujah and I'm in pain, sometimes I raise my hallelujah in pain because I know it's going to be a victory. And I raise my hands not because I have victory. It's prophetic to me. And I say to my pain, hallelujah, I will sing praise. And then when I, and that's my practice. When it's, when it's my victory, when it's the easy moments, when it's going good, then it's my celebration. And it's a lot easier, right? And sometimes celebration doesn't come even to the point in this life. And I know that's not popular to say, but hold on to it. With all your heart, hold on to God will be good at some point. And that may seem obscure, but it's the truth. And even in the Bible, there's obscurity in the, in the stories of Jesus. Like, for example, Jesus is walking through a crowd of people with his friends, and then he turns around, he's surrounded by people that are touching him, and he turns around, and a woman touches him amongst all the other people. And Jesus says, whoa, somebody touched me. Now, that seems unclear to me, and the disciples say that's unclear. As Jesus is passing by, he says, oh, somebody touched me. Obscure. Why would Jesus say, somebody touched me? And besides that, it's kind of awkward to say, somebody touched me. If I'm, if I'm hanging out with you, I don't say, I'm not like, hey, somebody touched me. Like, it's kind of an awkward, weird thing to say. Obscurity. Jesus is walking on water. And he's, well, first of all, he sends his disciples out, and then he's walking on water, and in Mark it says, and then he's passing by them. <laughs> like, like, this is very unclear to me why he would do this. He's just like, what's up? I'm, I'm, going, I'm going here. 
Are you scared? You think I'm a ghost? <laughs> Why is he doing that? Why is he? That's just strange <laughs> and obscure. Or the weirdest obscurity to me is Jesus walks by a tomb that he's late to, and the guy dies. And then he says to the stinky dead guy inside, and it actually says he stinketh much in King James. He says, hey, stinky, come here. Come forth to me. Why would he do this? Why would Jesus do all these obscure things? Is because Jesus is with me passing by. In the stink, in the fear of the water and the storm, in the moments where we have pain and suffering of the woman, Jesus is with me. It's a mindset that we lose because of the pain, because of the fear, because of the stinkiness of life and the death that we see around us. The hurt we see in this world because of sin causes our mindsets to get lost in where is God. And what Paul does in Philippians is he says, you know what? Through all of this pain, we got to get our mindset back on Jesus and on what he is saying to us. So he says this to the mindset. He says, in your relationships with one another, that's you guys, by the way, with me, so be nice to me, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So you know what? Be nice to me. (laughs) What he's saying here is obscure relationships can are are sometimes happen even in churches. Sometimes you may not be clear about, well, is he my friend? Is she my friend? How does this work? Relationships can be obscure. I am married. I love my wife. But sometimes she is really frustrated with me and doesn't understand, and it's unclear what I'm trying to say. Anyone else have this, or is it just us? Okay, sorry, honey. I guess we're the only ones. I will get better someday. It's... Relationships can get obscure around each other. In the Old Testament, there's, um, there's Joseph. He has brothers. Anyone have brothers? Yeah. Sisters? And they sell him to slavery. He gets this, he, I mean, there's a weird relationship, right? To be, can you imagine your brother or sister? I mean, I used to get uh, bullied by my sister. She never sold me as a slave. I mean, it wasn't an option, but maybe if it was. But... It's like, it's those moments where you look at your relationships and you're like, am I supposed to be nice to them? How do I treat my relationships? Relationships are so obscure sometimes because we don't know how to feel about people and we don't know how they feel about us. It causes mixed emotions, right? Sometimes we deal with our own insecurities and we think, oh, they hate me because they sold me as a slave, which is probably true. Or we think about David. He had a relationship with Saul where he's supposed to be the next king, and his, the, you know, his boss, the leader, is trying to kill him, which I've never had that either, but that's pretty obscure and unclear about, well, how am I supposed to become the next leader and, and all these things? Or Moses. You know, Moses, he had a relationship with Pharaoh, and he's trying to tell Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. You know, I grew up with, in your family, I, you know, I, I think they were like brothers or something like that. At least that's what the movie showed me. And, 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 and it's just an uh, awkward relationships happen in church. But no matter what hurt you have in relationships, we need to see that Jesus is passing by the hurt of relationships to become a part of it, to help bridge us together, 
to help set our minds and get our mindsets back on what's important to have relationship with each other. And so Paul starts with the focus of Philippians, saying, hey, we got to get our relationships focused on one mindset, which is Jesus and us loving each other. The greatest testimony in the world will be when we, the disciples, or when Jesus said, when you love each other, that's how they'll know you're my disciple. And God's plan is that we get that mindset to love each other, no matter the hurt, no matter the pain. Then he goes into uh, six through seven, and this becomes like a poem. Can you imagine like somebody writing you a letter and then they put a poem in it? Guys, it's a good idea to do your wise. I did it once. I got a kiss. <laughs> he says this, uh, who being in very nature, so put your mindset on Jesus, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness, or human likeness. That's so obscure to me. God, who is everything, became like nothing. A man, a human why? Because he, he, made, he wanted to show that he knows you. They became like you. He's intimate with you. He's not just some God in the clouds or God far away. He's close to you. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He became like this because he loves you. Sometimes we have to look at the, how obscure a human is. Humans are pretty obscure, right? No? Okay. Oh, I'll say it. I'm pretty obscure. I'm very unclear, and I've established this, but human, obscure human can be strange. And if you look at, uh, let me show you a picture of an obscure human, okay? This guy right there. <laughs> now, let me tell you why this guy is, is looking this way. I, one year ago, a year and a half ago, I decided I have a great idea. I'm going to take 38 of my teenagers I, in my youth program it's called Next Generation. I'm going to take them to the ocean for the first time. And I'm going to teach them about Jesus and do all this stuff. And when I got to the ocean with all these 38 teenagers, I realized I'm 41. <laughs> and I forgot. And this is my face realizing I'm around a bunch of kids. And I kind of wanted to be done with that. You know, Christian's cool with it, but I'm not so good with it. You know, he's, well, he's still, what, 35? So, so I... <laughs> He's not even in here. Okay, never mind. He's much older than that. So, <laughs> so, so, so I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then this teenager who's taking pictures caught me in a moment of thinking about my regret. <laughs> and he's like, Eddie, you seem so confused. And I thought, yes, I'm obscure. I'm, this is me. I'm, I don't understand what's happening. Why am I here? And I felt this way. But then I, I you know, I said, I have to embrace this. The feeling of, I don't want this job. The feeling of, this is tough. This is hard. I'm not with my wife and my kids. And it's putting pressure on me. You know, when you do ministry, sometimes it, it's relational and it puts pressure on your family. And it can make you feel separated sometimes. And I thought, this is, is this really worth it? Is this really good? So I said, you know what? I saw God do a few miracles with this camp. It was cool. The kids came out with a lot of passion. I thought, okay, I'll do it again. So I got a vision to do camp again. And so we, this time, we took 98 teenagers. 
I, I was like, okay, God, I'll do this. But this time, instead of being the obscure, unclear person that's negative, that's like, why am I doing this? I'm going to become the obscure, unclear person that's excited what God's going to do. Yeah? It was, it was just an experiment. I just want to see what would happen to me. So that became this guy. Woo! I started picking up teenagers and, woo, let's worship. This is me during worship. And I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's worship God. Let's go for this. And as I did this, the experience was, is this. Kids started experiencing the Holy Spirit in Khmer like never before. In Cambodia, it's a very shy culture. If you've ever been to Asia, like you can get into a car accident and they'll be like, and then they'll walk away. You know, like here, we're like, hey, what you doing? You hit me. Got, give me your insurance. You know, there they're like, oh, something, sorry. Didn't mean to touch you. So they're very shy. But here we experienced something amazing. Boys, teen boys, teen girls, they started, like a dozen of them fell over on the ground. And I'm not the kind of guy that creates this, that leads this very well, because I'm like in worship, and I'm like, oh, I felt a goosebump, and that's like my good day, you know? <laughs> Like, I, I've been to all kinds of stuff where they're shoving me on the head, like, come on, Jesus, go for him. Like, I'm like, yeah, come on, Jesus. Goosebump. <laughs> you know? But, and, and, and here I am. I'm just like, I'm doing my best. I'm 41 years old. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go do camp again. And I'm like, no one's even half my age here, but okay, here we go. And I don't understand what's being said because I don't speak Khmer very well. And they're talking really fast because they're teenagers. And this is not so much fun. But okay, God, it's unclear to me, but let's go for it. Let's just try. And here we go. And then, oh, wow. Okay. And then, I'm like, oh. And then they're like, Eddie, this girl has a demon. We got to pray for her. I was like, okay, let's give her some volume. And right? <laughs> I called Bethany. What do I do? She's like uh, moaning on the ground. Try volume. Okay. So I gave her, and then I was like, I don't think this is working. Let's pray for her. And so we prayed for her, and then the demon left, and then she was fine. Wow. So we saw, we saw all these amazing things happen, but the difference was is that I went from the um, obscure, unclear human of, oh, I don't know what God's doing, you know, that kind of thing, to like, Okay, it's, I'm obscure, it's obscure, unclear human that says, okay, God can do anything. And this, is my, this may be who I am, but I believe miracles can happen. Because I could see Jesus beyond my identity. I could see what Jesus, who what he wanted me to be, beyond who I was over here. I could see, you know what? Jesus wants me to probably try to be something new. Sometimes we get stuck into a rut of like, well, this is who I am, and this is what I am, and this is the way God made me. And we get stuck there, right? Because we get too comfortable in a bad position, in a bad mindset. And what Jesus, what Jesus did, he gives us the example of saying, you know what? My mindset was I was God. And I got out of that mindset to become a human. Can we change who we are if God does it like that? I think we can. And I think we're called to become all things to all people. God has the power to do this inside of us. We just have to be willing and say, okay, I'll try it. And it may not work like this, but sometimes it's more about working in your heart than it is about the outside. And God will do, I believe he will do a miracle like this. Then Paul goes on in uh, Philippians 2.8, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So now he says he became nothing. And then he says after that, and then he humbled himself, which I don't know how you can do go further. Oh, yes, by becoming obedient to death. That's how you do it. Even death on a cross. He got executed. 
Sometimes God calls us to obscure obedience. We have to obey to the point of even death? Yes. Follow Jesus no matter the cost is the phrase that we have. I'm not saying we should go all march into the ocean and say goodbye to this world right now or drink the Kool-Aid that some crazy people do. What I'm talking about is obedience to Jesus no matter the cost. Jesus says weigh the cost, but he doesn't say weigh it and decide if you want to do it. He says weigh it so you know what you're going to give up. He's not saying, hey, think about this so you can make your decision if you really want to follow me. He says, think about it so you can say goodbye to it and follow me no matter what. And that's not a popular message, but it's the honest one. It's the one that says, okay, God, no matter what, it may not be clear what I'm even giving up right now, but as best I can, I follow you no matter what. Um, It's not always easy to do, and I want to invite Bethany to come share a story. You guys want to hear my wife share a story? She's amazing. So uh, I, I uh, work with women's small groups for the most part. Um, I actually, I do a number of different things. But that's one of my passions is uh, leading people to Jesus. And then we connect them through small groups. And that's one of the ways that they can grow and really develop their relationship with God. It's, it's so special to watch people change over time this way. So there was a, a particular woman who I'd been teaching about Jesus, and she, she had become a believer, and, and one day I come to small group, and she's like, oh, I want to share a testimony. So I said, okay, go ahead and, and share. And she said, you know, when I first became a Christian, things were bad at my house. My husband would beat me. I would fight all the time. He would drink, and it was bad. So then I became a Christian, and I would pray for my husband, but he would still beat me. He would still drink. So I just kept believing in Jesus. And then after time, he stopped drinking, but he would still beat me. And then I kept praying, and he stopped drinking, and he stopped beating me. And (laughs) you just hear it, and it's just like... Okay, you're so precious. And, and you see the way that, that God began to reveal just what it is to walk in obedience through the pain. And I have other women who are still in the position of being beaten by their husbands. And they're still waiting for the change. But they're still praying and believing for the change because... There, they don't have the social services that we have here. There, there is no, like, option to leave or go somewhere else because there's nobody else to support them. So they stay, and, and they hold on to Jesus. And because when they get a relationship with Jesus, they realize he's the love that they've been waiting for, and he's the good news, and he's the one who does bring that hope and can bring that change. And then we're watching the change because I know the change comes to the husbands and I know the prayers work. But in the meantime, there's the obedience and there's just the loving and the staying and the breathing day by day. So that was what I wanted to share about. Thank you, Yeah, Bethany. she's the one in the middle. Oh, you don't have to say which one. <laughs> it was that one. It was no, that no. one. 
No, I, I won't say which one. Um, you know, when we experience difficulties, we often want to take back the control, right? Yeah. We want to say, hey, you know what? I trusted you, God, but then you failed. It hurts still. It didn't, it didn't get better. And I believe that becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, is much stronger than if it works or doesn't work. And it's stronger in us when we follow Jesus and say, you know what? I believe Jesus will bring hope either in this world or the world to come. And I will follow him no matter what. And I will trust him no matter what, even if it looks crazy to everyone around me, even if it looks like it's not working, even if it doesn't work for me, I'm still going to follow Jesus no matter what. And these women teach me this. I see them every Sunday at Kids Church, many of them. And they teach me this lesson of obedience. Not obedience because God gave them commands, but obedience because God gave them love. And to follow that love and trust in that love no matter what. Because, you know, it'd be easy for them to try to just like retaliate or to get angry and get spiteful, but they're choosing to forgive. They're choosing to try to figure out how to trust God in the moment. There's not a cookie-cutter answer for these kind of difficult situations, right? You have to listen to the Holy Spirit, respond the way he wants you to. But the ultimate bottom theme is, is, is obedience is trust. It's listening and following the way that the Holy Spirit leads you in these moments of pain. And we all have pains like this. And God calls us in these moments to be obey, obedient even when it's not clear, even when it's tough and it's difficult. Because with God, in every pain, there is a promise. Every single pain that you have, there is a promise that God gives for healing, either in this life or the life to come. Every single pain, every tear you've had, every hurt you felt, he felt it with you, and he will bring healing to you. Everything will have a promise to it. And I have experienced this in supernatural ways as reminders of the ultimate promise. You know, we had a bunch of miracles happen where we prayed for people and they got healed. And then sometimes the people didn't get healed. And they asked me, like, Eddie, why is this so obscure? Why is this, like, happening this way? This is weird. And I said, yeah, you're right. It is weird. I don't get it. But you know what? I do know what I get is that the person that got their arm healed, still someday, is, the arm is still going to go away. But you know what? You got a good reminder of all the promises being answered. And you can pray for that for other people to have the same reminder. It's all about, comes down to, is holding on to the promise of God that he can do anything and everything for us. And that in every pain, there is a promise. Then he goes into the last section of Philippians, of, of the main point of Philippians. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He's talking about Jesus. You know, whenever they say, when it says therefore, you have to look, what's, what's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> He's saying, because Jesus became obedient to death and, and, and obeyed him, even when it's like totally unclear, he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Why did he exalt him? Because he was obedient, even when it was unclear. He exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. I love that tension, heaven and earth coming together. And under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about God getting glory, which is really good when God gets glory. When I get glory, man, talk about obscure. <laughs> That's really confusing. But when God gets glory, it's so good. What's he saying? He's saying is dasu to the destiny of God's glory. Dasu is a Kamai word. You guys want to try it? Dasu. Oh, that was great. One, two, three. Dasu. 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 Anyone guess what it means? Can you guess? Go. Close. Close. Grow. Ooh, that's great. That was a good one. Empower. Ooh, these are better answers than what it means. Let's just go with this. <laughs> it means motorcycle. I don't know where that came from, but that's obscure. <laughs> Dasu means to persevere. But not just persevere like us. It means to persevere with a fight. It means to hold on tight and like a motorcycle, hold on tight and don't let go, right? It means dasu to your destiny. Persevere to the destiny God has for you. The destiny, the promises God has, both persevere for the promises in this world and persevere the promises in the world to come. Dasu, because God's glory will shine through you. God's glory will come. And you're going to feel it happening in your life at certain moments, but you're going to see it happen at the end of your life completely. And that's the promise that I hold on to. Whenever life's not going good, I say, you know what? Well, then I'm going to look at it eternal. God's good. And when it's going good in the moment, I say, you know what? It's going good. That's a good reminder to stasu and hang on because Jesus is going to get glory and everyone's going to see it. And everyone's going to see what it's about. I got a good reminder of this. Um, my, my theme for the leadership of the youth internship, we started a youth internship uh, two years ago called Next Generation. And we have about 100 teenagers that are volunteers, and they learn to become leaders. They volunteer. They work six days a week at manual jobs. Most teenagers in Cambodia, they have to work starting at a young age. Um, if they get taken out of school. If they're in school, they have to go to school usually from half the day and work half the day. And they do this six days a week. On their one day off, they come to the leadership program that I set up for them to learn how to become leaders in the church. So they're one day off. I mean, we're talking 14-year-old girls carrying bricks all day long, 10 to 12 hours a day. And they're one day off. They show up at 7 o'clock in the morning to learn how to become leaders of children. And then they go to a class after that about leadership that we developed for them. And then that night, they serve the adult celebration. They prepare our tables. They do all this stuff. Not because I can't do it, because I want to give them the chance to worship God through service. And I say, go ahead. This is how you do it. To become a leader, become a servant, like Jesus said in this section. And I actually, I challenge them to memorize that first uh, verses six through eight. I say, I want you to memorize this about leadership program. And these teenagers, their theme is set the example. Teach me who Jesus is. I challenge all the teenagers. I want you to teach me about Jesus by the way you live, and by the way you teach, eventually. Show me the way you live, and I learn Jesus. Show me the way you worship, I learn Jesus from it. 
And what, I have been, what happened is, is I get totally blown away because these teenagers are teaching me what it means to have faith in Jesus through poverty and disbelief in God. From a culture that has no concept of Jesus, they're rising up with a hallelujah in the face of all this, saying, you're Buddhist, my whole family's Buddhist, but I've learned to trust Jesus. I'm surrounded by poverty and no escape from the poverty cycle, but I'm learning to trust Jesus. And their hearts are passionately going after God. And it's, it touches my heart. I think Kim, um, the, I gave a message last Sunday, and I had all the Next Generation students behind me singing hallelujah in front of the whole audience. And it was like 60 kids just crying out their hearts, hallelujah to God and leading worship for all the adults. And it was just like, oh. But there's one specific kid that taught me about how to dasu. And he was the youngest one. It was, he's actually one of the reasons why I started this program. His name's to, 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 I call him Toby. I think his name's like Tobiah or something. I don't know how to say it in Kamai. I call him Toby. And um, the, the teacher is uh, next to him who I trained to teach a class called Movies with Jesus. We watch movies <laughs> with Jesus, and then we talk about the movies we watch. And on Wednesday night, we do a special teaching for, for adults that teaches them about who Jesus is. And we grew from about 20 people to now we're anywhere between 100 and 150 people on Wednesday night. And this is a course of a few years. But a lot of kids started coming. And, you know, I did the opposite of what Jesus said. I sent the children away. Because <laughs> I was like, I, we just can't handle the kids because they come and they eat the food and they run away. And then, like, and then there's, we're teaching and we have, it just created a chaos. And so I didn't know what to do. And I, so I sent the kids away. But Toby... He was, three years ago, he came up to me and he said, I don't want to eat, I just want to learn. And I was like, oh, how do I say no to this kid, right? So I said, okay, you can stay, you can eat, but don't bring your little brothers and sisters. You can go to the class, but if you don't pass, because we give a test at the end of class. He was in, Beth, uh, Bethany created a class called Hearing God's Voice. And we said, if you don't pass the test, he was, he was eight years old, then you can't come back on Wednesday night until you're 14, because that's the age I asked him to come. And he said, okay. So he studied. He came every night. He sat in the front. His friends would try talking to him, and he'd push them away. And he'd just focus on what the teacher was saying. And he came to me, and he, he showed me a certificate. He's like, Eddie, I graduated. I said, like, Okay. So, he's, so he kept coming. For the last three years, he's been coming Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, he shows up. Toby, he's in a class. And I'm sitting in the class, and I, I sit in the classes, and I watch the teachers because I help, empower, again, I, I empower them to teach. I, I sit with them during the week, prepare the messages, the lessons, and then they teach. So this is not normally my job. So this is kind of fun. I like it. <laughs> you guys all have to look at me. Sorry. <laughs> but... I, 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 was, I was sitting next to Toby, and I, was, I looked at him, and, and he's, like, asking questions in the group. And we're in the group, and, he's, and the question was, we watched a video about Jesus healing the blind guy at the well. And, and he's, like, they're asking questions about what are the things that Jesus wants to heal in your heart, I think was one of the questions. And he, everybody's going around to share, and he was really quiet. And then he looked at the teacher, and to get on stage, again, this is a big deal right? And he, he goes, I want to share. So in front of like 30 people, he gets up on the stage, he walks up, and he starts sharing about how God has healed his heart. 
and calling him to be a leader in Cambodia someday. And how he's forgiven his parents for the, the, the hurt that they've caused for leaving him. And all this stuff. And he can't get the words out. He starts crying. And then uh, Kalik, the teacher, puts his arm around him, and I take the picture, because I don't want to forget this moment of Dasu, where he held on through all the pain. He's like, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to hold on to my pain. I, I'm, I'm going to let go of the pain, and I'm going to let God come in. I'm going to let God lead me and guide me. I'm going to grab a hold of Jesus. Because if you hold on to pain, it's really hard to hold on to God. You've got you to first acknowledge this hurts, this pain hurts, but I let it go, and I'm going to hold on to Jesus and focus on him. Because at the end, God wins. At the end of it all, God wins. God gets all the victory. And that's what it means for God to get glory. At the end of our lives, we're going to look back and say, oh, God wins. No matter your pain, no matter your hopelessness, no matter what you're going through, at the end of our lives, God wins. And that's the promise. Sometimes we hear a verse in Philippians that says, I can do all things. Have you guys ever heard this verse? Yeah. I can do all th- I mean, it's pretty popular. I think a, a, a professional athlete that Rick really likes is uh, 413, right? I can do all things. I forget his name, but it's like a football player. But is it Tebow? Yeah, yeah that guy. I don't watch. Uh, to me, football is what you play with your feet, the football. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the ha- handball is something else. So I, uh, I, I <laughs> so, so I, 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 was, I was looking at this verse, and I said, yeah, I can do all things. And sometimes I hold on to this, and I say, I can do anything through Jesus. I can do anything. But then I thought about, well, what does the do mean? I say, I can do anything. And whenever you want to understand the first the sentence, you just have to look at what was said before that. So if we look at verse 12, it says... I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know, what is, well, I know what it means to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Jesus. If I'm rich, I can be happy with Jesus. If I'm poor, I can be content with Jesus. If I'm hungry and starving, I'm content with Jesus. If I'm fat and healthy, which thank you, God, I am, I can be content with Jesus. If I'm married and have a wife, I'm content. If I'm unmarried and single and I'm smelly and my apartment stinks, I'm content with Jesus. If I'm in a grave, I'm content. If I'm in alive and on the ground and above the ground, I'm content with Jesus. No matter what happens to me, I'm content. If my ministry in Cambodia is going great and hundreds of people are going to know Jesus, I'm content. If I'm the only one there that knows Jesus and I'm the only guy saying, God's good, God good, and everybody's running away, I'm content. If you guys give me all the money I need to do all the programs in Cambodia, I'm content. If you guys decide this guy's a failure, let's focus on someone else, I'm content. Why? Because I can do it with Jesus. I can do all things with Jesus. I don't need anything but that, and that's what I have. I'm content with that. And you know what happens when you get content with Jesus in this way? When you say, you know what, I'm, no matter the circumstances, I got you, Jesus, you start to realize my praise is not for sale. You can't buy my praise because it's priceless. You can't stop my praise. My hallelujah goes out no matter what happens to me. 
and it doesn't stop. And that's what I've learned from these kids in Cambodia. The poverty can't buy their hallelujah. The hurt from their parents rejecting them can't be bought. Their hallelujah cannot be stopped. Their praise is not for sale. It is priceless. You can't steal it away when you become content with any circumstance. Because it no longer becomes about, I have more to do, I have more to do, or I need to do less, I need to do less. It all becomes about God gets glory no matter what I'm doing. If I need to do more or I need to do less, it's all about God getting glory. It's not about trying to figure out my life. It's about, is Jesus getting glory in what my life and what I do? I'm content no matter what. Because my choice is my choice. My choice stays my choice. You can't decide for me what happens. You can't steal that from me. My decision to follow Jesus and trust him, no matter what, it's mine. I can't take it from you, and you can't take it from me. God gave us a powerful thing, and it's called choice. Sometimes we think of Christianity, and we think Christianity is forced religion on people, but it's not. In fact, it's the only one religion in the world that says it's a choice. You have to choose. I can't force my daughter to go to heaven, even though I try, and say, honey, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to pray. And at dinner time, it's like, pray to Jesus. And she's like, no! And I'm like, ah, why is it a choice? And all the other religions, Buddhism, they just say, you're Buddhist, and you don't have a choice. You're Buddhist. Why am I Buddhist? Because you're Buddhist. Okay. And other atheists, you're atheist. Why? Because you're atheist. There's nothing else to be. Nothing else exists. You're atheist. But with Jesus, he says, it's a choice. It's a choice. And my choice stays my choice. And my choice is, is to trust God no matter what. I will trust God. And that choice um, we gave to you guys in little rings. Did you guys get the rings when you walked in? Let me tell you where those rings come from. We love to buy things from people in Cambodia because it helps empower them. So those rings, these little rings, are a woman makes these during Bethany's Bible study. So we, we asked her to make different things. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you, we wanted to give you guys this ring to remind you that your choice to persevere and stay with Jesus is your choice. Just like a marriage commitment to a man and a wife. It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen by accident. It happens on purpose when you choose to choose. When you make your decision to follow Jesus, no matter the pain, no matter the obscurity, no matter the pointlessness. And that's what causes the ha to be in hallelujah. Because you can laugh at it and say, you know, I don't get it, but I trust God. And sometimes it's not so funny. Sometimes the ha is like, ha, because it hurts. And it's like a blow to the gut. I get that too. But it still saves your choice when it's painful or funny. So I wanted to ask Bethany to come and the worship band. Do we have a worship band? Yes, we do. There she is. We didn't ask you. I'm sorry, Haven, I didn't ask you to. Ahead of time. There's a... Yeah, we, we all go through different seasons where I think we, we find this obscurity. And, and so today we just wanted to, to just take some time to think about what is, 
What is the, the season of obscurity? You know, Eddie gave the picture of, of being shot around the dark side of the moon and, and going through this darkness instead of, instead of going directly to where we think we should go. We're, we're off in this, in this other area of just waiting and silence and what's going on and, and why is it painful and why is it quiet and why is... And there's a lot of why, why, and I just don't understand, and I don't see, or there's confusion. And, and we, we have this, these times where, where God is just giving us things, and we don't see it. But, but later on, we can see it, because we'll be empowered, and, and there'll, be, there'll be so much fruit from it. But, but in the moments where we're at, it's, it's, still, it's still the obscurity. But that's our training ground. So, so we just want to take some time to just, just consider what, what is my training ground right now? What is, that, what is that obscure place that God has called me to walk in and to walk through? That he's, he's not, not away from me during that time. But we believe that he's, he's still just there with us, passing by, empowering us. But but it's during those seasons that he, he calls us to, to develop gifts, to develop the things he's put inside of us. And I think about um, David as, he, as he's sitting as a shepherd watching sheep and playing his harp and writing the psalms. Or, or while he's on the run from Saul and he's writing psalms. And he's, he was in seasons of obscurity that were just so strange but, and, and so not impressive before he was king. But it was, it was during those times that, that God taught him how to worship. And it's during these times in our lives that, that God develops those gifts. And, and so before he can kind of release us to the world... He, he does it in, in hiddenness and in silence and, and in pain. And, and so he calls us to kind of embrace that confusion, embrace like, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know when this is going to change or if it will change before heaven. But we know that there will be a promise during it. And for each of us, it's different. There's not like a one, oh, it's always going like, to look, look like this, or, or your season's going to be just this long. But we know that he's with us during that. So we just want to take some time, and, and maybe we can just, um, just come before God and, and, and ask God. Maybe there's, I, I believe that God has, has already been developing gifts in each of us but I think there's even more I feel like there's even even more to to release yeah so Jesus we just welcome you we say yes to your process. We say yes even if we don't understand. We say yes to the pain. 
because of the joy set before us. It said that you endured the cross because of the joy set before you. And God, we say yes to you, even though we know that there will be pain. And we know that there will be good times and there will be bad times. What we commit, we say yes to you. We say yes to your process. We say yes to your refinement in our lives. We say yes to you developing the gifts that you put inside of us. Yes. 